We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it time. for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined in the studio this evening by Xiao Xin Chung, an advisor to independent lawmaker Freddie Lim. Hi, good to see you again, Gavin. And on the telephone by Taipei-based journalist Ralph Jennings. Hi, Gavin. Thanks for having me. Tonight we'll be discussing the KMT now having its youngest chairman in decades, organisers of the recall motion against Gaoshul Mayor Han Guoyu delivering 400,000 signatures for review, questions over a government ruling to restrict media reports about suicides, calls for transparency in artificial intelligence technology development and a Taiwan number one Major League Baseball team jersey. But we'll begin with the latest coronavirus news from here in Taiwan this week and the Central Epidemic Command Centre confirmed one new coronavirus case on Thursday, bringing the total number of cases here in Taiwan to 49 since the outbreak began as of the time we're recording this show. The latest patient is a woman in her 40s living in northern Taiwan who recently travelled to Europe and health officials say she was likely infected overseas. Health officials also say that of the 49 coronavirus cases here in Taiwan, 26 are indigenous and 23 are imported. Meanwhile, two charter flights carrying a total of 361 Taiwanese nationals who had been stranded in China's Hubei province arrived at Taoyuan International Airport late Tuesday evening and early Wednesday morning. The first flight was operated by China Airlines, while the second flight was operated by China Eastern Airlines. Both flights departed from Wuhan City, and all of the 361 Taiwanese nationals evacuated from Hubei province have now been placed in quarantine. While they returned home safely, though, it appears Chinese authorities attempted attempted to make some last-minute changes to the passenger manifest, and Chinese authorities also reportedly initially refused to allow passengers to wear protective clothing. But apparently that issue was rectified, and they were all given protective clothing when they got on the aeroplanes. And Academia Sinica says that its synthesised monoclonal antibodies that are now able to identify the protein of the virus that causes the coronavirus disease. Now, according to Academia Sinica, the potential reagent, if successfully mass-produced, will shorten the rapid screening test for the coronavirus from about the four hours, which it is currently, to 15 to 20 minutes, which will significantly improve screening efficiency. Rapid coronavirus screening kits are also being developed by the National Health Research Institute, which announced on Wednesday that they could be available for use by medical personnel by the end of the year. Now, Beijing attempted to take credit for Academia Sinica's coronavirus rapid screening reagent. However, Institute President James Liao shot down those claims, saying China has nothing to do with the Institute synthesizing monoclonal antibodies because they did the work all on their own. Now, the government's surgical mask purchasing system 2.0 began on Thursday morning of this week, allowing people to register to buy them online. And Cabinet spokeswoman Kalasia Taka says the ordering system is now running smoothly, despite some slowdowns and a temporary crash in the first hour of its being opened. Now, the initial problems were due to the available bandwidth, not being able to hand the large number of registrations and purchase requests. And among all that doom and gloom, there was some coronavirus news to smile about this week, and that was thanks to students at an elementary school in Kaohsiung who found themselves the focus of international coverage of the virus outbreak thanks to a Lego disinfectant dispenser they made with the help of their robotics teacher. The students, who ranged from 6 to 12 years in age, built the colourful automated Lego dispenser as part of a robotics project. And now all the school students line up to get the chance to use the self-built alcohol disinfectant robot at break times when they're asked to wash their hands. Now the alcohol disinfectant is dispensed from the Lego 
machine by an ultrasonic sensor. And a recorded voice shouts, washing hands is super, when a pair of little hands is detected. So, shower, we shall begin with the latest evacuation flights. And, of course, some people argue they were long overdue, but, of course, there was problems arranging these with the Chinese authorities. And, of course, the initial evacuation flight in early February, they had a problem with the manifest there, where people were put on the plane that shouldn't have been on the plane. And this time, apparently, we also had problems with the manifest. I believe 30 people. Right. I mean, it's the, the, the story all over again that um, there's, there's definitely a constant debate, right? Because these people are, are Taiwanese nationals. We definitely should bring them home. So the government is supposed to do, to do everything in its power to bring these people home. But what, what's keeping those from happening is, you know, Chinese authorities just very difficult to work with, right? Because throughout the past month, there's been negotiations about, you know, who can get on the plane and then what kind of precautions, you know, should they wear protective suits and then whatnot. And, but if you, the, the, Chinese authorities, you know, has been rumored to, you know, change the passenger manifest just hours before the, the, the plan is supposed to take off. So this is going to rattle, you know, Taiwanese authorities very much because we are very reluctant to, you know, allow people in if they are confirmed to be contracted with the coronavirus or Wuhan virus, which we call here in Taiwan, um, right? So um, this is whole saga is repeating again, just like in February. Um, but... But, you know, in the end, you know, these people are home and safe. And then the, the command post actually set up a really, you know, intense effort, you know, in, in the airport to monitor all the, the, the boarding of the passengers and all the checking and, and the quarantine. So I, I, I'm, I'm still opt- optimistic and, and I hope to see that in the future. I mean, if this, you know, the evacuation keeps happening, we want to see more rigorous process behind, you know, all the, uh, the procedures and make sure that this is done safe as possible. I'm glad to see these people are back. I interviewed some by, uh, by social media app when they were still over there, and they're really just going stir-crazy in their in-laws' apartments and in their hotels or wherever they happen to be for like 45 days. So, um, and they, I got in touch with a few of them yesterday, like, hey, we're back. Two out of the three who I knew were back. And of course, they're in isolation for a while, but still it's pretty much case closed for them. So I... I that's sort of been my focus of the news coverage is you know how these these individual people who are all healthy and um, and they're not political either. Like they, I interviewed them, it's like well, let's not blame, let's not take sides, let's not you know point at China, point at Taiwan. We're just like just do the thing that's right, you know, take care of us, and you know let's get on with it. So um, apparently no problems. Like they um, um, the the latest group of people who came back, as far as I know, they don't. Nobody's infected. So after their 14 days of, you know, reading comic books in some white wall room at the Taliban airport, I guess they can all go home. And what did they say about the mood? Obviously, they were happy to come home. But what did they say about the mood actually in, in, in Hubei province? I don't think they said anything to me about the mood yesterday. But when they were still <clears throat> quarantined, they had told me that there's like nothing going on. They, I was um, interviewing them and they were like you know, stuck on these high floor apartments and hotel rooms and they, and they could move their phone around and you could look outside. There is no mood in the street. There's nobody there. Like it, they, the one woman was describing how there's this, this usual going to work bustle and you know, there's people selling stuff and going out to the curb to get their bus and you look out and there's nothing happening except one difference is you get these blue roof shacks. So if you see the blue roof, those are the dudes who are going to stop you from leaving. So you have to pass them, and then they'll send you back home if you try to get out. 
Right. And, of course, Ralph, there was also talk of Academia Sinica producing a, a, a screening kit that could cut the time from four hours to 15 to 20 minutes. And also the National Health Research Institute is also working on its own fast coronavirus screening kit. Yeah, I think they're, um, I, everybody's doing this. This is not, not only Taiwan, as you probably know. There are um, universities and uh, uh, pharmaceutical companies and government agencies all over the world who are working on this stuff. So it's kind of a race for the top. It's a good race. You want to be in that race and you want to win it. Yeah, I mean, and talking about news about Chinese um, trying to take credit for Kenny Mercinica's um, work, um, I would just say it's not surprising, right? Because first of all, uh, Kenny Mercinica, number one, it's an institute that, that came from China. So if you, if people, the listeners don't know, Seneca, which is a fancy word of saying Chinese. So this is uh, essentially um, uh, like a people, so people really would misunderstood this is a Chinese research academy, right? But actually it's a, it's a top most research Academy located in Taiwan, so that's why the like, lawmakers call, calling for a name change for Academia Sinica, because since it's been funded by Taiwanese tax dollars, um, their work should not be mistaken as a, a Chinese product. Ryan Ralph, the government surgical mask purchasing system 2.0 began yesterday morning, and did you log online to buy any? No, I don't use masks. Um, I, I've um done quite a bit of research on that over the years. I was in Beijing for the SARS outbreak, and I watched people go in the, do the mask thing there. I, um, I've looked at the WHO guidance. The, the government here in Taiwan has its own guidance on face masks. And there's a bit of a almost a, a dichotomy there because the, the, the CDC here says you don't need a mask if you're healthy, although they recommend um, that you do it in, in uh, you know, like public transit. Where there's a lot of people standing you know, mouth-to-mouth, basically, almost. So I'm not sure, uh, in, in a way they're saying you don't need one, but then they're turning around and saying, hey, this is a valuable, hoardable commodity. We have to regulate it. So it's a, a bit of a mixed message there. Um, obviously, people here don't really care if you need it or not. They're just going to go put one on. They're used to it. It feels safe and comfortable that way. Um, so I'm glad they can get it online. I think it's a really smart idea. You know, people here, consumers here, use their do a lot of e-commerce. They do a lot of stuff online. So why not? It might cut down on those. You might not have to get in the queue in front of the local NHI-approved pharmacy at uh, 8 in the morning and wait for your ration. And Xiao, have you been lining up at drug stores or are you, you decided to go online to buy them now? Um, actually, first of all, I wholly agree with Rolf that uh, I, I don't put I don't put on masks often except when I'm on MRTs or, or buses. Um, so yeah, I mean, the CDC put out an advisory that if you're healthy, you don't really need to put on masks, especially when you are out in the open. But uh, uh, but Ralph is also right that it's a psychological effect, right? People feel safe. People feel that they are part of the effort of combating, you know, this Wuhan virus thing. Um, so that's why people still, you know, line up uh, in front of pharmacies, get them. So when I commute every day I see huge lines I when when whenever there was a huge line in Taiwan it's usually for food but this time it's for face masks so and so and and that's a health risk right so if if there's a people gathering you know whether it's for masks you have a higher risk of uh, the disease spreading so I think uh, the government's doing the right thing that putting this online and letting people buy online but but I've heard reports that it, the system's not that smooth just yet first, like the first day it's online it's actually crashed due to uh, too much traffic and also the steps you have to go through like first of all you have to buy a, a car reader and then put in your uh, um, your health car and then 
go through a lot of, and then you have to pick it up in, in, in a local, you know, 7-Eleven or something. So it, it is not a smooth process. So I, I would just see it. I would just imagine the people using are mostly young people. So the, the older folks who are more prone to the disease, um, they are probably not going to try it because number one, I, I don't imagine they, they have a, like a car reader handy. Uh, most of them, I, I, I still think they're going to line up in, in front of pharmacies. Ron Ralph, did you see the Lego disinfectant dispenser? I didn't see that. I, I, I learned about that first from Gavin Phipps of ICRT, and you know, thank you for imparting that news to me. I'm glad that they were able to do that. It's just very rare that you find any kind of levity or humor in this coronavirus story, so hats off to them. Yeah, I, yeah, me too. I was the first time I heard of it. I, I think it's really, really uh Really cute. I mean, I think I'm gonna go out and buy and build one for my son and then for 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 his uh, friends at school because this is this is a great opportunity to teach kids that you can you know use ingenious you know ideas to to solve difficult problems. Of course, but I think you're too old, mate. You got to be six to twelve to build a robotics <laughs> dispenser. I think you'll probably yeah. have trouble putting the bricks together. Shout That's right. You're yeah. Too old for Lego, mate. My hands still big. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, moving on. And lawmaker Johnny Jung was sworn in on Monday of this week as the KMT's youngest chairman since Chiang Kai-shek assumed the post in the late 1920s. Now speaking after his inauguration ceremony, Jung pledged to promote a collective leadership to initiate interior reforms, and he said the KMT shall not wait for a certain wise leader to make policies any longer, but will act to put together different people's wisdom and collect opinions from all parties involved and he also went on to say that he believes what the party needs now is dialogue and collaboration rather than conflict and he says he'll play the role of a chairman who is able to promote understanding and cooperation between different generations within the party now, Jung was elected KMT chairman after receiving 84,860 votes in last Saturday's election. Now, his sole rival, former Taipei Mayor Halong Bin, took 38,483 votes. Voter turnout, though, was low, with only 35.85% of party members actually casting ballots. So, Ralph, we have a new KMT chairman, younger than all the other chairmen since Chiang Kai-shek in the late 1920s. Yeah, good on him. So what? Uh, yeah, I, the party's... <laughs> You know, they, they can hire people, they can bring people on. The problem with the party is they, they advocate unification with China, and everybody knows that, and nobody wants it. Um, they're, they're only saving grace is that they are able and willing to do a dialogue with China, um, and they've gotten some, you know, some dividends out of that, especially 2008, 9, and 10. Um, but it, 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 as long as they're associated with China, um, they're going to have a lot of problems winning votes here, no matter who's at the top. And no matter what kind of things they do <clears throat> internally to to make amends between the generations and whatever kind of internal factional spats they're having, um, the voters are waiting for you know for something else, somebody who can who can you know not advocate unifying with China. It just doesn't wash. It's not popular. And Chow, do you think obviously Johnny Jung got in because he was younger and he's hoping to move towards young people? But of course, do you think Ralph has a point there? I mean, do young people want to be associated with China, even the young people that join the KMT? Yeah, I mean that's exactly why you know Johnny Chan has um, distanced himself and his party tried to distance KMT from the '92 consensus, right? So I remember last time I'm, I'm on a show, we were commentating on the race between. Uh, Johnny Chan and then how long been right and so I, I always you know 
I was saying that KMT would do uh, a lot better in the younger demographics if they uh, picked uh, Johnny Chan as the chairman. And lo and behold, it's very surprising that Johnny Chan not only won the, the chairmanship, but he crushed Ha Long Bin. So KMT, especially, uh, especially the, the, the strong uh, KMT voters, they are really thinking about a change, I mean, a change inside the party and in probably in their position with China. So if this is a signal that KMT is moving, you know, away from China and more toward the uh, the, the center or the, the, the like, so the not so deep blue position um, and then distance themselves from the 92 consensus from the uh, one country, two systems, uh, we may, you know, have, you know, a, a, a normal, you know, policy debates with the Taiwan's two main political parties uh, instead of just debating, you know, whether Taiwan should be pro-China or pro-Taiwan. So if, if the two parties are uh, like mostly pro-Taiwan and then they just debate on policy, that, that is a good thing for, for Taiwanese gen- in general. So we are happy to see that development. But it, it is very difficult, though, because, you know, number one, KMT is the old party more than 100 years old. And there are many factions inside the party that is keeping, you know, Johnny from deliver, you know, a promise that's draw the younger voters, for for example, or uh, being away from, you know, the, the PRC's control, right? So the, the the one signal from PRC is surprising is that they, they don't send a congratulatory telegram uh, to a new KMT chairman that's, uh, since 2005 or something. So this is very surprising, right? Cause, and this may signal that PRC is... Noticing that the development that KMT in China, KMT is trying to, you know, move away from 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 affinity with with the PRC. So that maybe they they would think about who should represent their interests in Taiwan now. Is it is it KMT or is it another party? So right now, that if this is the development, then they may, you know, cause some parties to in Taiwan to be more and more to toward the center and not not close to PRC. And Ralph, of course, there's been talk of possibly the older generation within the KMT maybe splitting and starting their own party. Do you see this happening or do you see the KMT going on as it has been for decades? Yeah, I was speaking to a a, a very experienced um, local Taiwanese journalist about that earlier in the week. And he was saying that since they also have financial problems, a lot of their assets have been frozen for reasons we all understand that they might just have to disband at some point and and, and, and reform. And then you have these loyalists who will, you know, do what they've done before. And you might have the young people who can start another party. So, um, I think it's going to be tough for them. Um, you know, it, it but if, if they can, I think they do need, I hate to say this, but they do need to weed out their older generation. You know, they're, they're from, they're people who are closely linked to China. Um, they've done, they're linked to some of the, you know, the martial law past of, of Taiwan. Um, you know, like we all know who <clears throat> Halong Bean's father is and what he did. So, um, you know, just things like that just don't help their cause. Um, and like Xiao said, I think, you know, the uh, voters here will be, you know, will find it, will take heart in having some real choices between a couple of parties that are less close to China if that comes about. 
And organisers of the petition to recall Kaohsiung Mayor Han Guoyu submitted some 400,000 signatures to the city's election commission for review on Monday, and they were delivered on the back of a convoy of flatbed trucks. And now, according to Chen Guanrong, one of the head petitioners, they collected more than 550,000 signatures in total, and that figure is more than the required 228,000 signatures needed. Now, Chen says once the city's election commission and the central election commission complete the review processes and approve the recall proposal, a recall vote on hand could take place on June the 13th at the earliest. Now, the Kaohsiung City Election Commission is expected to finish reviewing the signatures to check if they are valid within 40 working days. And the results of that review process will then go to the Central Election Commission for further review. Now, shall they got the numbers in flatbed trucks like a convoy of petitions was going down the road there. But, of course, then it came the crux of... They're going to count. They're going to review them in Kaohsiung with the city's election commission. And then it came the news that apparently people that are reviewing the petitions are being paid money to find fake signatures. Yeah, there are you know reports and rumors that the you know the people are afraid this process is not going to be fair, right? Because if you look at the local election commissioner which is pointed by uh, the mayor Han Guoyu himself. So uh, so people worry about the impartiality of the commissioner who is going to review and improve the recall election. Um, so we do hope that we see a, a fair, you know, process going on, and then people actually get to, you know, decide whether they they want to recall the mayor or not. And we were talking about, you know, the new chairman. Uh, Johnny Chan trying to, you know, render in a new KMT, and this is one of the difficult issues. Whether they he's gonna, you know, help Han Guoyu, you know, combat the, the the recall election, or he's gonna, you know, stay on the sidelines. Because if you, you know, watch the process, uh, people who supported the recall are overwhelmingly the young people, young people of Kaohsiung. So if the KMT is trying to draw on the younger voters, be uh, bring on a new image, uh, it's a difficult task if he what kind of position he's trying to take in these recall elections Ron Ralph did you do you watch the the signatures being driven to the office on the flatbed trucks no I didn't watch anything in terms of images I did follow the the process of gathering the signatures ever since um, January when after I'm off the presidential election so I knew that they had a lot of momentum um, I think the, the convoy is probably just for, for, for show and good for the local television cameras and so forth. Um, the 550 is a, is, a, is a nice fat number, you know, especially since it's higher than what they needed. Um, it, it shows that this guy, if you're saying June 13th, and between now and then he has to put some birds in his hand, he needs to do something and rack up some achievements, the kind of stuff that he promised when he was first elected down there. And what about concern about the, the actual review process? Do you think it could be tainted, or do you think there's no way they could actually get away with not being transparent? Gavin, this is Taiwan. It's got to be tainted. Ever the pessimist. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think there's some you know reason to that, because last time, if you recall, in the uh, referendum petitions signing, you know, there are a lot of signatures who are from dead people, right? Especially in the, uh, you know, KMT-related uh, referendums like the, uh, the the nuclear power one. Um, so there are a lot of signatures that, that when you 
track it. They're from people who are already deceased. So then the people speculate that this is from the the, the lease that the lease that the, the, the party has that, that is long time ago, and then they don't check that the people on the list are already you know gone. So I mean, we 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 want to see a fair process, but always also we don't we, we do want people to check that every signature on those petitions are fair. Right, anyway, we have to take a short break now, but we will be right back after these rather important commercials. Welcome back to Taiwan This Week. Now, Reporters Without Borders in Taipei is calling on the Ministry of Health to amend a regulation that's possibly trying to restrict the possibility of media outlets being able to report on suicide cases. Now, according to the Media Rights Group, the regulation, if adopted, will prevent media from covering suicide cases and Reporters Without Borders says that clearly goes against the public's right to be informed. Now, Reporters Without Borders East Asia Bureau head Cedric Alviani says the focus should not be on preventing media from covering the topic of suicide, but instead on encouraging them to approach it in the most responsible way possible. Now, Alviani also says that if the government wishes to combat possible abuses, it should possibly recommend that it concentrates its actions on promoting ethics and good practices in journalism. Now, the call comes as the government this week wrapped up public consultations on the enforcement rules of the Suicide Prevention Act and the new regulations are being discussed due to concerns that the reporting of suicides, especially those ones that make the front pages of the newspapers, can create copycat effects among young teenagers. So, Ralph, you're reporting on Taiwan a lot. Do you report on suicides? Have you reported on on suicides and what do you think of this government edict to stop people reporting on suicides i've written only one piece um in my years here on suicide and it was about the rate it wasn't a, a graphic piece involving actual cases per se it was more it was some years ago when the rate was going up and i think it has gone up since then as well um you know just on what some of the factors are and why people even think about doing that um as a media person, I'm I'm torn about it actually because I don't know whether these reports actually create a copycat effect or not. I'd like to see some kind of a proof that somebody who's considering suicide is going to be motivated to do it by seeing a front page story, you know, and you're standing on top of a building with a rope or something like whatever they do here. Um, I'm not sure if that's valid, although it could be. Uh, I, I haven't seen any conclusive research on that. Um, I wouldn't be at all sad to see these images go away. However, I think the media here have far better things to cover than the the gory details of some poor teenager who's jumped off a building. You know, what about the the widespread, you know, economic effects of the coronavirus? Here? You know, restaurants are closing down. Your service economy is tanking. You know, how about that? <clears throat> Yeah, of course, Xiao, when they do run suicide stories here, they do, at the bottom of all the stories, they do have to have the suicide hotline. Yeah, they, they, they have the hotline. Sometimes they have the warning messages to, you know, stop copycats. But I, I think Ralph, you know, hit the, 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 the head on the nails that, you know, public policies in Taiwan are often done without sufficient, you know, um, research, right? So they are now, there are very few numbers that actually 
point to uh, a correlation between copycats and then uh, coverage of uh, suicides on the news, right? But so uh, we'll admit it that the, the news coverage, sometimes the quality of it, are very low, and then the reporters tend to sensationalize, you know, these kind of tragic stories to to a great extent. Um, but if you want to promote, you know. Ethics and then a good journalism conduct. I don't think just outright banning it is the way to go. And of course, a lot of this is to do with a certain tabloid newspaper which puts gory pictures on the front page. Exactly that that, and also they they put on the uh, the, the car videos as well, right? Because you know there are public appetites for that. But if you wanna you know um, transform that, you should put out you know probably guidelines and standards uh, and not just ban it outright. Right, now, moving on, and Minister Without Portfolio, Audrey Tung, this week, talked about the problems surrounding the development of artificial intelligence technology. Speaking at an event organised by the Ministry of Science, Tung said although AI tech is a positive move in the promotion of innovation, it still must be carried out with transparency and accountability. Tung noted that the technology is currently mired in questions regarding personal privacy protection, and as such, she said that many people remain wary about its usage here in Taiwan. However, However, she went on to say that she believes by developing it in a transparent and accountable manner, the public will come to understand that artificial intelligence technology can make society better and help break down barriers that result in social divisions. So, Xiao, you're a bit of a tech guy. Do you think the government's going around artificial intelligence technology development the right way, or do you think more transparency needs to be involved and possibly more communications with the public? Yeah, I mean transparency is always good, right? I mean Audrey has been, you know, you know, she's been known um, as a as champion of open government and transparency in government, right? She's a, a prominent figure in the GovZero, you know, community. It's an open source uh, tech, civic tech community in Taiwan, uh, one of three largest in the world. So I mean, she's been known, you know, known for this issue for for a long time, and I, I think she's she's been quite right, right? Because but the issue here is not just artificial intelligence. The the root of the problem is actually personal data protection, namely what Europe has implemented, being called the GDPR, is a is a is a overarching protection of you know personal digital data online whether you have a right to your data where you can carry them to another vendor if you wish well whether you can just delete them online so these kind of questions lies at the root of uh, this so-called artificial intelligence problem because ai is just uh, pieces of code it's an algorithm without data or personal data they, they do nothing so if you want to protect people's rights under ai the first thing you need to do is to protect personal data so um taiwan's moving toward e-governance right they, they are pushing out this eid you know your, your your id with the chip on it and in there they're going to store your personal identity so that is going to open a floodgate of a lot of usage of artificial intelligence um so using your data online so that is what audrey is pointing at um how to make sure with the advance of technology personal data and personal rights privacy rights online can be protected because you don't want to see in 20 years whatever you buy online can be tracked by the government that is not going to be a good thing and ralph they got artificial intelligence technology and privacy I think it's more of a regulatory issue than it is a technology issue. AI can do all kinds of things. It's, you know, Siri on your iPhone uses it. So that kind of stuff all the way up to, um, you know, computers being able to know who you are, recognize your face, and track you down for criminal reasons. 
Um, the question is whether Taiwan wants to regulate the uh, uh, data privacy that's enabled by AI or whether it's one of those things where there's not that much of a public mandate and they just go on with their lives and don't do it. Sometimes there's a lot of regulation, like the stock market is heavily regulated, and then you have things like hoarding of toilet paper, which is not regulated. Um, so it's just, it comes down to you know public opinion, and it's, it's just something that people really care about. And it sounds like they do. And Taiwanese certainly wouldn't be alone in the world and caring a lot about personal privacy protection. So I suspect that um, Audrey Audrey Tang and others in government will will push for something like that. Yeah, I mean AI is the hottest phase right now in tech, right? So, but a lot of things can go wrong. Just just look at China, for example. They use AI for what for facial recognition for tracking down people who. Dissidents and then Uyghurs and Tibetans. So the, these are can in the hands of the wrong government or in the hand of uh, authoritarians. Can this technology can go horribly wrong? So that's why Audrey is you know proposing a regulation of AI, and this is going in the absolutely the right direction. And of course, in your experience, Ralph, do you, do you think people in Taiwan are wary of these new technologies, or do you think they accept them? Because of course, t- many cities in Taiwan have have already lots of you're followed by CCTV everywhere. That's a good question. I, I think people here are, are fairly, you know, positive about it. They're open to things when they start. You know, they're willing to do anything on social media. They don't think too hard before pressing the send button, um, you know, on, on you know online or, or Facebook or whatever it may be. As you say, there are cameras everywhere. I think people here have always been pretty self-conscious as well. You know, they, they're you know, quite particular about how they look when they go out the door in the morning. Um, you know, now we have a face mask rage, so you can always cover up your face. Um, so I, I, there's an, people welcome AI. I don't think they're really afraid of it, but there's also already a culture of just, you know, minding your minding your manners and um, just being being careful how you appear in public. Yeah, actually, there's just not enough awareness so to speak, right? Because I, I've heard people requesting for new cameras being put on their block because they feel safe that way. They see that if there's you know robbery going on, then the camera can record it. But what they don't understand is that these kind of imagery, these recordings are stored somewhere. And like 10, 20, even 100 years later, people can go back and then track you and track where you've gone, where you've been, how, when did you go home, that kind of personal privacy you know rights so this is some i think the public is getting more and more aware about this so in a, at the same time they want to be safe and at, at the other time they are paying more attention to uh, personal privacy data and before we go this week the new york mets organization has announced that it will be giving away some 500 mets replica jerseys decorated with the name taiwan and number one during the major league baseball team's 16th annual taiwan day now the event has been slated to be held on august the 29th but of course major league baseball in the united states has now delayed the start of its season so that date could obviously move but according to mets representative wayne wang the jersey is a replica of the one worn by president Tsai Ing wen at last year's mets 
It's Taiwan Day, where she was featured in a promotional video which was played on the centre field video display. And the Mets representative says the team opted to give away the special jerseys after scores of fans called in to ask where they could actually buy them. Now, the Mets have been working with Taiwan's representative office in New York to hold the annual Taiwan Day since 2005. Now, apparently, Taiwanese-American television personality Janet Sher will be throwing the ceremonial first pitch out at this year's Mets Taiwan Day that might not take place on August the 29th as had been scheduled. So, Ralph, would you wear one of these nice New York Mets jerseys or are you simply not a Mets fan? I'm not a Mets fan, but I think the jerseys are really useful in consecrating the contributions that the Taiwanese have made to Major League Baseball. We've had some some amazing pitchers that come and go through the through the the, the, the teams in, in the American and the National League over there, and they're not very well recognized. People here know about them because their faces and their achievements get in the sports pages of the papers. But in America, uh, the focus tends to be on whoever, just anybody in the MLB who's doing particularly well that year. So yeah, I'd wear one of these just as a way of saying, you know, the, the MLB is not just made up of people from the States and from Latin America where they normally come from, but we have some Taiwanese too. But I mean, what, what is your team or don't you do baseball? I'm an Oakland Athletics fan. So okay, so the Oakland A's, would they, should they have a Taiwan number one jersey? I don't know. Um, I'll look into that. You should write them a letter. <laughs> and Xiao... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, um, actually, I'm a Yankee fan. I've lived in New York for 10 years. I've always been a Yankee fan. But this jersey is just, just looks good. I would definitely get my hands on one of them. And especially, I want to give a shout-out to the organizations, you know, trying organizing this Mass Taiwan Day event. Uh, Hello Taiwan is being led by my good friend, uh, Min Chan. So it's doing a great job. And especially the phrase Taiwan number one, we just love it for people who may not know. This is a mean that coming from the uh, video game youtube video right because this guy playing uh online the, there's a lot of chinese players just bullying him and then he he's pissed and just keep yelling taiwan number one taiwan number one and this those chinese players they just dropped off because they don't want to hear that so uh, this is great i definitely get, get my hands on one of these jerseys but you must be torn now you're a yankees fan this is a mets jersey well yankee doesn't have a taiwan number one i'm sure so but of course Yankees did have Taiwan number one once upon a time, a pitcher by the name of Wang Jingmin. Yes, it's number 40, but uh, yeah, he's been gone for <laughs> almost a decade. Almost a decade. <laughs> yes. Anyway, that's where we'll leave it here on Taiwan This Week. This week, and I've been joined in the studio today by Xiao Xing Chan. Good night, everyone. And on the telephone by Ralph Jennings. Thanks, Gavin. And thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on iTunes and Android podcast apps where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.